are a family. More than six million strong. In over 80 nations. With Christ as our center. We comfort the hurting. We help the poor. We visit the lonely. We feed the hungry. We embrace the outcast. We welcome the immigrants. We are a family. We come from diverse backgrounds. But are united in our calling. To bring the good news. To our neighborhoods. And distant lands. This calling is something we cannot do alone. And so we form an alliance. Somos una familia. We are a family. We are a family. We are a family in the Lord Jesus Christ, as we prayed about, but we are also a more extended family as a congregation, the Awakening Church, actually our official California nonprofit kind of name. You know what it is? It's the Awakening Church of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And uh, as a part of a broader movement around the world, it's nice to have a few greetings from some of our missionaries, knowing that they are knocking it down in different places and different countries, just as surely as we're trying to knock it down here in Temecula Valley for God to be glorified and for his will to be done in our lives. You are a part of a family. Welcome to the family. Do you have a good family? I mean, like, a good family that's, like, not dysfunctional, or maybe you have a dysfunctional family. Maybe you have a family that they have their good moments, but oh my goodness, we're heading towards the holidays and it could be some not so good kind of moments. Well, every family is uh, imperfect, right? And even us as believers in God's family, we are imperfect. But in Christ, there is perfection, and every need that happens in our lives and in our families can be adjusted and altered by God, the good, good Father. And I pray that if you don't have a good spiritual family, that you will choose, even through this morning, to become more engaged and share your life with other people. Some of us have been praying for a family that has been a part of our church in years past, and that is Mike and Sarah Hooper, and for their daughter, Landis. Uh, Landis uh, is continuing to try to recover from a traumatic accident in which uh, her brother was driving a car after graduation this past spring and um, was T-boned by somebody on Winchester and uh, the brother Gavin, his girlfriend was killed, and Landis has been uh, in a tremendous challenge with a traumatic brain injury. And this week, by God's grace, many of your prayers, they were able to get Landis transferred to Denver to Craig's Hospital, which is one of the top brain trauma hospitals in the United States. And uh, so continue to pray for the Hooper family and pray for Landis, that she would walk, that she would talk, that she would wake up. But I uh, felt for the Hoopers, there's a lot of people online, and uh, we sort of stay connected online sometimes, and our prayers are with you, and they had a little going away prayer time down at Rady uh, Children's Hospital uh, before they flew Landis to Denver. And I was thinking, you know, man, I wish that 
We could be there, some of us, right? But then I realized, you know, we have some of us there. Some of our family is in Denver. Not my biological family, but my spiritual family. This past March, we hosted a conference by Forge Ministries called the Plan A Conference. Some of you went to it, right? And some of our lives are really changed and challenged and transformed by us being God's Plan A for reaching people for Jesus. And I thought, well, Forge is like, let me look it up. I Google mapped it, and I, there it is. It, like the hospital is like real close to Forge Ministries. And so I sent out a group text to, to Dwight and Charlie and, and uh, Melissa, and I said, hey, this family's there, and I gave some context and sent a picture. And they immediately responded, all three of them at different times, saying, we will do our best. We would love to be able to try to be of support, not just in Landis's situation with her recovery, but the whole family. And so I felt sort of good because uh, I'm going to get that handoff made this week that there is a family there's a family broader than my biological family that I'm a part of, that you're a part of, and we can tap into that family and we can support one another through that broader family. No matter where you go, in fact, some of you, you could go around the world and you could find people from all different kinds of places and you could tap into them as family. Part of our church family is Pastor Oliver that's back here this morning, and he's just passing through again. And I'm like, man, you, you, you are, you live in two states, Colorado and here, because I know he's working uh, with his ministry push and some dimensions here in Lake Elsinore and elsewhere. And I, he says, well, I've been in different kinds of places. But Oliver, as you travel, you, you have a broad family, right? He works for Focus on the Family now out of Colorado. But you're still a part of our family, right? When time's done, and we pass from this life to the next, do you think you'll recognize your loved ones? I mean, like those who have gone before you, like my mom and my dad. I'm looking forward to seeing them, right? Well, when we see one another in heaven or in the eternal realm, we, we will know one another, and we will have context for how we had relationship as a biological family here on this earth, but do you think it'll be different? Do you think it'll change? It will. Because you see, we pass through this life in those kinds of biological relationship or kindred generational kinds of relationships, extended family, whatever it may be. But in heaven, we will just be a part of God's family. But you, today, are you embellishing some of the riches of what God's family provides for you today? Or are you, well, a lone ranger? I got my own responsibilities, my own things to do. I got a lot of stuff. But you're not spending time building relationships with other spiritual family members around you. I want to encourage you to do that this morning because in this series that we're on, there was a traumatic turn of us talking about the story of God last week. We had come through the Old Testament, what God was doing from uh, the beginning in creation, up through the Hebrew people. And last week, Jesus appeared on the scene. And when Jesus appeared on the scene, he rocked the world of the timeline of the story of God. You see, Jesus... He came as a fulfillment of all that went before in the scriptures. 
But he also inaugurated something new moving forward, not only to the end of time on this earth, but into eternity. And that was he inaugurated what we know today as the church, but what will be known eternally merely as his family, his body, his group. We mentioned a few weeks back a verse in Titus. The Apostle Paul was teaching, and and he had the visual timeline that's behind me in his view when he said these words. He was sort of coaching some of the spiritual leaders and churches and saying, hey, you just need to be mindful of this. And he says this in Titus 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Now, what's he saying? The grace of God has appeared. Who is that? What is that? Jesus. He said, God's long-time story of being here for his people, it has come to fulfillment. The grace of God has appeared. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then he says he offers salvation for all people, not just the Jewish people, but for the Gentiles and everyone of every ethnic stripe and every nation around the world. He offers salvation to all people, and that salvation is going to teach us something. It's like, man, say no to ungodliness, worldly passions, and, you know, Satan's uh, temptations in this life and the temptations that come from others around you. Say no to that because you have a different identity. You have a a huge new family identity. And you need to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this, what? Present age. So he's thinking in terms of past, future, but this present age. And then there's this age to come, which he articulates in some other places, like in Corinthians, that we have these different dispensations that we are in, in one sense. And so here's Paul saying, hey, get a clue about the timeline, because you are on this timeline. We need to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. What? While we wait for the blessed hope. What's the blessed hope? The hope of Jesus Christ's return and the new heaven and the new earth. A better beginning as we'll reference it next week when we take it on. We wait for the blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. And then he remembers. Oh yes. Jesus. The cross. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness, and then catch it, and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. If Jesus walked in here today and he said, excuse me, Pastor Kerry, it's enough of them here and all your chatter, let me speak to everybody. He would stand up and he would look you in the eye if you're a follower of him, and he would say, It's good to see 
my people. You're my people. And we will live forever. And you will reign with me forever. You're a good people. And the reason you're good people is not because of else, this and that, and your, but because my spirit is within you. And so we have a whole different identity that's now rolling upon us. Your identity may be caught up from, you know, where you grew up, what your parents did for a living maybe. Maybe it's caught up in what college you went to and from that maybe what sports team you cheered for or maybe what professional team you cheer for now and jersey you're going to put on this afternoon to watch the NFL games or something. Maybe it comes from your workplace and man, I've, I've helped build this company and you have an identity in that company. Think about all the places we get our identity in or, or maybe who you're in a relationship with or, or how your family is right now as you and your spouse are trying to, to raise a godly family. Where is your identity coming from? All those things can be good. But your identity needs to come from the reality that you are a part of a people, a new people. And this people, God is calling out from around the world through all generations to be a people of his very own, eager to do what is good. That's sort of summed up in where we're at on this timeline today. A new people. And it says AD 30 because that's when Jesus started his ministry. It was about the year 30. A new people. After his ascension to heaven, it was after his death and his resurrection, he ascended to the heavens, right? He just disappeared before their very eyes. And the angel said, don't worry, he's coming back. Jesus sends the promised Holy Spirit, and his disciples turn the world upside down, preaching the good news of Jesus. In the midst of intense persecution, the gospel spreads, the Gentiles and the Jews form a new people, Churches are planted in cities, and apostles write letters encouraging and instructing the people in the grace of Christ and their response to his grace. This is where we're at on the timeline, and, and it's, it's all moving quickly, and right? The life of Jesus, and we walked through that just briefly last week. We're going to tag it again here this morning. But then all of a sudden, boom, we're into what's called the church age. God calling out a people of his very own, eager to do what is good. And if you look into the scriptures, you find the New Testament, the life of Jesus moving forward, having four sections. The Gospels, which is about the life of Jesus, Acts, which is about the growth of the church. And then there's a bunch of letters, epistles. And the epistles are written by different people, mostly Paul, trying to instruct the church how to live in this present age. A lot of times there's some theology there, and then there's practice on the hills of that. You know, because of this, then you should live this way. Say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while you wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That articulation is throughout the epistles, the letters. And so you get to read somebody else's emails. And then there's the book of Revelation. Revelation. 
And the book of Revelation is unpacking all that's a part of the future, the better beginning and the end of time and thereafter. So those four key sections. But, you know, uh, we could have taken a lot more time with the Gospels and the story of Jesus, but we're sort of cruising down this timeline. And we come to the, the book of Acts. Why do they call it Acts? Not Acts like A-X-E. Acts. A-C-T-S. Acts. Well, a lot of people say, well, the book of Acts, which is a chronology of Jesus from Jesus' ascension through the life of the disciples and whether it was Peter or Paul or others, it's the Acts of the Apostles, as they say a lot. But you know what? As I grow older, I'm starting to see Acts not as the Acts of the Apostles and the disciples and the New Testament churches as much as to what it really is. You know what Acts is? Acts is the Acts of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was sent by Jesus and the Holy Spirit is a person just sort of like you can get to know someone here. It's not like some, oh, there's some power, ghost kind of, you know, energy I need to step into. No. Jesus told his disciples, it's to your advantage that I go away. If I don't go away, I'm not able to send the Holy Spirit. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. But the Holy Spirit will also be a guide and a comforter. The Holy Spirit is a person. And Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I go. It's to your advantage because I go. Because if I go, greater acts than these will you do. Referring to his own. And they're like, what? You did some incredible miracles and some other kinds of compassionate things. And, and you taught with power and truth. He says, you'll do greater things than these. Why? Because the Spirit of God is going to come. And can I use this word? Possess you. If you're a follower of Jesus. Now this is a big deal. When you become a child of God and you enter into his family, it's not just that you're trying to get your act together and say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, live self-controlled, upright lives. God gives you the spirit of Jesus to live through you, to work through you, to empower you for service, but to empower you to live a righteous, upright, God-fearing, fulfilling life. The Holy Spirit is what that A.D. and forward is about until the Lord comes. And that Holy Spirit is working His way around in your life and mine, and it's the Holy Spirit that makes us kindred one with another. Kindred, she's a blood relative, we might say, right? Blood runs thick, right? My mama bear comes out when... Somebody starts to mess with my kids. What is all that? There's that connection point. Part of my flesh. I was talking to my wife this week about, I don't know how we got off on the childbirth and our kids and numbers of families. And she was bringing up some type of unique things like, you know when they say some of you is, or they are left behind in your body through, I'm like, I don't need to hear all that stuff. I'm not quite dialed into it. Maybe there is residual connectedness in it all. But I'm thinking to myself, 
I'm not good with those kinds of things and they sort of make me queasy. But there is something about your blood children. And it's not even your blood children. Some of you have adopted children. Our youngest daughter is adopted in our family and we forget that she wasn't born into our family. There's just such a closeness that comes together with that. Well, how does this closeness happen in the family of God? It's through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Jesus is active and working. So, like, you know, I could, I won't call out names because y'all get a little, you know, freaked when I do that kind of thing. But I could call out names here and here and here. I can call Oliver out because Oliver, is, he was a pastor here and, and Oliver doesn't care. He's in front of people all the time. And so, you know, there are various ones of us I could call out and I could just simply ask the question, how are we connected? And your response actually should be one that's similar to being a blood relative. We are a spirit relative, one of another. We are connected through the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit of Jesus that's in you is in you, is in you, is in you. And so when we get together or when I tell the Hoopers, hey, there's some, the, there's some of our spiritual family that's out in Denver, and they're maybe going to connect, it's like, oh, wow, we've got this kindred spirit. We know one another because we have the same Lord and God, but it goes beyond just your beliefs that you have in common. It goes down to the very core of the essence. We are possessed by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus himself, and that Spirit is working acts not only in the historical context of Scripture in the early generations after Jesus, but it's working acts of himself through our lives today. And I don't know about you, but I, I get sort of commonplace and bored sometimes with things I've been excited about, like my football teams, the Colts, because I come from Indiana, and their quarterback just got put on permanent injury for the rest of the year. Their new star rookie quarterback, and so that makes me go, what? I'm done watching the games, right? Yeah, I'll probably do okay, but, you know, sort of bored with that, or, or maybe it's some type of music group you've really been dialed into, you're excited, a new album or something came out, and we get all excited about these things, but as we grow older, they just sort of become blasé, a little bit boring. Are you in a place where you're bored with your life right now? Well, I tell you what, step back and get excited about the family that you're a part of because the acts of the apostles are continuing to be the acts of the members of the body of the Awakening Church and other churches in this valley and beyond because we are on a mission that Jesus put us on. And that's why when you come to the book of Acts, Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, he then wrote his second volume, which is the Acts of the Apostles or the Acts of the Holy Spirit. He records what happens. He records what happens in those first moments of the birth of the church of Jesus Christ. Turn there, if you will, to Acts chapter 1. And in Acts chapter 1, we find these words. We find these words in Acts chapter 1, beginning with verse 6. Then they gathered around him, Jesus, and ask him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They're gathered around Jesus and they're wanting to know what's next. 
They've sort of settled into this idea. He's been alive for 40 days, appeared to over hundreds and hundreds of people, and it's like, wow, you really did. You rose from the grave, and you're here. What's going on? Are you now going to take over the Roman rule of Israel and set up the kingdom of God like it was back in the glory days of King David? Are you going to do it now? You going to do it now? Huh, huh, Jesus? In verse 7, he says, it is not... For you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. Oh, bummer. You're not going to tell us the timeline of end times? Nope. I'm not. It's not for you to know that. The Father set it by his own authority and the end of the timeline or the end of the better beginning of the new extended timeline into eternity is not for you to worry about so much even though when you see the events of what's happening in the Middle East right now, it's a pretty serious question to ask, and I have asked it myself, are these the end times? You never know. But then Jesus said this in Acts 1.8, and you need to know this passage. Jesus looked at him and said, you my people. <laughs> you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then Pastor Michael read this morning evidence of the fulfillment of that when on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus, after Jesus ascended to the heavens, came back and Tongues, flames, quite an episode. The Holy Spirit possessed the people of God permanently. And that Spirit of God is our uniting factor across this room. And as that Spirit of God that commissions us to do the acts of the Holy Spirit, which is to be a witness in Jerusalem, which was local, Judea, which was like statewide, Samaria, which was a peculiar people or people that were different from us. The Samaritans were different than the Jewish people, but they were commanded to go there and then to the ends of the earth. The missionaries you saw in that quick uh, greeting are part of the Christian Missionary Alliance of which we are a part of and sometimes we say in the Alliance it's sort of a good summary kind of statement uh, by our current president John Stumbo who simply says this what we are as a part of the Alliance what we are as a part of God's movement what we are as a part of God's new people blood relatives and the Holy Spirit we are a Christ-centered Acts 1-8 church family. Say that with me. We are a... Is that your identity? Or is your identity that you cheer for the Rams? Is your identity whatever wear from your company that you put on during the week? This needs to be your identity. 
that you are a part of a Christ-centered focus on Jesus Christ as our Savior, our Healer, our Sanctifier, our coming King. Jesus is what it's all about. And he sent his spirit, but we are a Christ-centered Acts 1-8 family. We've received the power of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we are a family. Warts and all. God's grace. Is that your identity? I like how it's phrased up like that, not just because of the movement that we're a part of with the Christian Missionary Alliance, but because of what I see embedded in Scripture and what I understand from the timeline that we are on. Last week, I made mention of one of the bold witness statements that were set, was said about Jesus Christ when he came. In John, in the Gospel of John, it, it does say, and then beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by him, and apart from him, nothing came into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. There was a witness, it says in John 1, that came to bear witness of the life and the light of Jesus Christ. He was not the life and the light, but he came to bear witness of the life. And who was that person? John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was the sort of the Elijah person that was prophesied that there would come this one who is declaring, make straight the way of the Lord. And so John did, before Acts 1-8, what God called him to do in being a witness to proclaim and herald, this is the Messiah. And so it says in John 1-29, we looked at it last week, the next day he saw Jesus coming to him, and he said to everybody, hey, everybody, look around. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That was his proclamation as being a witness to other people, that Jesus Christ is one who takes away the sin of the world. And we said last week, it's a good thing. Jesus Christ is good news for those who want to get rid of their sin, guilt, and shame. You have someone who carries it away, who can forgive your sins, separate them as far as the east is from the west. You get a new beginning. You get an etch-a-sketch shake, and you get a whole new screen to work with. That really predates a lot of us. He takes away the sin of the world and of your life. Gone. No, no more to be remembered or for you to be accused of it. But there was another proclamation that he gave shortly after this. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And, and that's coming up here in a second. But I want you to understand that what the witness aspect is not you standing up and being a big time preacher or writing a book or something like that. It's just giving verbal acknowledgement of who Jesus is. He then said, as he was getting ready to baptize, Jesus, can you imagine the honor and the privilege and the overwhelming sense of why me or why should he be baptized? And John the Baptist said this. He proclaimed it to the people that were gathered. 
Not only is he the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, but he upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon when he was baptized, the Spirit of God came down on him as in a dove, and Jesus announced, This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him. This is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. So these are two aspects to your witness and to mine and me boldly standing before you today. Jesus Christ came to take away the sins of the world. Behold the Lamb. And he can take away your sins. But Jesus Christ also came to bring the good news for those who want a new heart filled with the Spirit of God. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. A whole new spirit. We're going to have a baptism here at our church in a few weeks. If Jesus has taken away your sins and you want to give public acknowledgement of that baptism, then I encourage you to write on the back of your Connect card, I want to be baptized. November the 19th, we're going to have a baptism. Baptism was a public declaration of faith to follow Jesus. And it's one of the two sacraments we're taught in scriptures to do along with communion. And it reflects back on this event of Jesus being baptized and the bold declaration that the Holy Spirit would come and he would baptize you with the Holy Spirit, not just with water. It causes me to reflect back actually on this storyline to where Trey was at a couple weeks ago when he took on the last part of the Old Testament it says in Ezekiel, through Ezekiel the prophet, who was a prophet about 580 years before Jesus arrived, and he was a prophet when they were in Babylonian captivity and encouraging them uh, to hang on to hope. And Ezekiel the prophet says this in chapter 36, verse 24. He says, For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from the countries and bring you back into your own land, which is an interesting prophecy. I was talking to somebody right beforehand about the prophecies that are in Scripture for the immediacy of the Jewish people then, but also have a prophetic edge for now and what's going on. And you can see some of the headline news, actually, in that statement there. I will sprinkle clean water on you, the prophet said. On behalf of the Lord, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to obey all my laws. It's interesting, I uh, read this week uh, that there was a um, sort of a pop person by the name of uh, Kate Von D. Does anybody know who Kate Von D is? Oh, you guys are really into it. She is uh, an entrepreneurial artist, I guess was one way to put it. Uh, she was known for the reality show LA Inc. or Miami Inc. A lot of tattoos. As you can tell, it's not a reality show that I would watch much. But it's interesting because not only was she that, she also a couple years ago started to sing and, and uh, she um, uh, did tattoos for a lot of celebrities, that kind of thing. But uh, Kate Von D uh, was baptized this last week. And she's covering up a lot of her tattoos because God's given her a new season of life. I've had moments I could read some of the things that, that she's articulated in, but I thought, you know, how beautiful it is that God can redeem 
all kinds of people from all walks of life. And God is putting in her a new heart. She mentioned in an Instagram post that in her home, she just decided to get rid of all the uh, McCabe kind of stuff, the occult witchcraft type of books. Why do these need to be around? My family really, uh, even if they have pretty beautiful covers on them, I just don't want that to be a part of my family any. And it's a beautiful thing to see God bring transformation to do what this, to take a heart of stone and give it a heart of flesh. And she's trying to walk this out in her context without, you know, stepping on the toes of people, but giving a pretty vibrant witness. It was a video that she posted about her baptism saying, what does baptism do? It's a public acknowledgement. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm part of his people now. Isn't that great? But God does this. He's doing it over and again. This is the acts of the Holy Spirit that are ongoing today. But I want you to know and wrestle with this point that you have a place in God's ongoing story as a part of his new people. And the reason you have a place is because of the coming of the Holy Spirit that brings power and purpose and transformation in your life. You know, the question of God's dwelling place uh, on this timeline, we've looked at different places in the beginning. Where was God at in the beginning? In the garden, right? He was in the garden of Eden. And in the garden of Eden, he walked and talked with them. And then when they sinned, uh, he moved them out so that they wouldn't continue to sin and eat of the tree of uh, life that would permanently lock them in the state of sinfulness. And so God walked with them. But then we have with Moses and, and the, the law that was given on Mount Sinai and all that, that, that he was instructed to build a tabernacle and the Ten Commandments were placed in the Ark of the Covenant and the Ark of the Covenant was in a, a mobile RV is what it was, uh, a big mobile RV, tents and holy place, holy of holies, and the presence of God was in the tabernacle. And then you come up to the section of the kings and, and uh, the temple, Solomon built the temple, Right? part of the David thing. And so there was the temple and then God's presence moved from the mobile RV to the temple of God. And they would come to the temple, the temple remnants that are still in Jerusalem today. So the dwelling place of God and moved from in the garden to being in the tabernacle to being in the temple. But where is God's dwelling place today? It's in the followers of Jesus, my people. I will put my spirit in you. It goes back to the Ezekiel passage, the prophecy. Do not lose heart. I will put my spirit in you. And that's exactly what he did with Acts 1.8. That you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So here's my question to you today. Is your heart filled with? with the Holy Spirit. Well, Gary just said, if we're a believer in him, we have the Holy Spirit, we are. But scripture also teaches, Paul says, keep on being filled with the Spirit, which means keep your life open to him, to be poured into by the Spirit himself on a regular basis. So is your heart filled with the Holy Spirit? If you're not a believer and a follower of Jesus, then really good news, you get this. You get this if you choose to lay down your life, repent and turn and follow the Lord. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, comes and dwells within you. And you talk about rocking your world and changing your life. It's not just Kate Von D that's life is being changed by the Holy Spirit. It's your life that can be changed too. And then I just want to ask, 
the Holy Spirit dwells within you, are you really leaning in and cultivating, being a part of a Christ-centered Acts 1-8 church family? Two questions I leave you with. I have somebody I want to introduce you to this morning. Now, he's from another country originally. His name's Humphrey, and I've gotten to know him. Humphrey, would you come up? Humphrey, would you welcome Humphrey? When I talk about, you know, we have family everywhere, and we can go different places. Sometimes we know them, and sometimes we don't. This is a dear brother that I've gotten to know in just the last few weeks. I don't even know him all that well. But he came to staff this week, shared his heart a little bit and what God's doing in his life. I liked it. Your, um, uh, your wife's uh, an RN, yes. and you're studying to be an RN. Exactly. And you uh, said that uh, that's what I do, but that's not my calling. Yes. Yeah. Humphrey, what is your calling? Can you just tell people what you... So Humphrey comes from Kenya, Nairobi, Kenya. Yes. Uh, for those of you in Rooted, that's where our Rooted study comes from, Nairobi, Kenya. And he actually knows the guy who wrote Rooted, right? He was a part of your life. Exactly, he was. I came 20 years ago, and the pastor who was uh, in the church I went to was actually Pastor Mwethi, who uh, wrote, wrote Rooted. Book. Yes, yes, that's him. Can you get him to come here sometime? A lot of us have gone through Rooted. No, I'm right. just I'm messing with you. <laughs> I can. I Go can. ahead. You're calling, friend. All right. So, um, as Pastor said, we met a few weeks ago, uh, probably a month now. Uh, but my calling is actually young people. I've been young, and I've lived with young people, and I thought I would graduate to something else, but God kept me there. So, I find myself with my wife serving young people in the valley, uh, not just Kenyan kids, but kids around the valley who can come and do what we do. So we have about 50 kids who we congregate with. Uh, actually, 25 on the Zoom. We do Zoom Bible studies. And this, we just started the three kids, my, my, my three kids. And then before I realized, there were about 50 kids coming on the Zoom Bible study. Right now, we are at 25. A creative way to be God's witness in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Yes. The online. Uh, yes, yeah, online, yeah. <laughs> and then we do uh, once a month, once a month, a physical meeting. Because these kids, they want to see each other. And amazingly, the first meeting we did, uh, we didn't even realize, but there came about 70 kids in the meeting. So we knew God had something. And that's why I knew my wife and myself, we've been called to serve the young people. Hmm. Call to serve the young people. Yeah, you can get it. And uh, so every week you have an online Zoom kind of study, but then once a month you have a gathering, and, and whether it's younger kids or middle school, high school kids, you're also influencing the parents, right? Exactly. And so, I mean, this man doesn't pastor a physical church, but he pastors a body Amen. of God's people, Amen. right? Amen. And so I just loved his heart. And uh, he uh, wanted to bring something to us as a church and to some degree partner with it. As you know, we allow our facility to be used. Could you tell us what you got coming because you need to give an invite to the rest of God's people to be a part of this that will be in this very room? Amen. Okay, so uh, what's, we're going to have November 11th, November 11th, uh, it's one of those physical meetings that we do with the kids. And it's grown to the point whereby some people who have, I had told Pastor, one of the uh, guys who worked with Pastor Marwedi to do uh, the ministry he does, 
uh, lives out in Coachella Valley. That's where he pastors as a, a, a director of the worship team. So uh, with him and other people, we are able to do a worship thing that we do uh, once in a while. So it happens November 11th, we will have one of those. And one of the guests, uh, Masi Masika, she is a renowned uh, worship leader in Kenya. She will be here on the 11th. And for that reason, we are calling our young people together. And by God's grace, your pastor and the, the church leadership, they allowed us and opened up something. And I was like, this is going to be an amazing moment. So we don't want to close ourselves out. We're in this country. We love people. So we want to extend that invitation to you as parents, to you as adults, and young people. Come have fun in God's way, but also with the twist of a Kenyan way. They are dancers. <laughs> they love music. They love to dance. Any song, give it to them. I feel like dancing right now, but I'm not going to do it. So you're welcome. <laughs> Would you give Humphrey a hand? Thank you so much. I, uh, you know... <laughs> I can't take y'all on a mission trip. It's too many of you. It costs too much money. But we can bring some cross-cultural kind of worship here. And I invite you to look at Saturday, November the 11th, 2 o'clock. Of course, Humphrey says, you know, it's Kenyan time, too. So we'll get started eventually, and we're not quite sure when we end. <laughs> Even if you just pop in for an hour. And it'll be some in English and some in Swahili, right? And uh, I actually went online to listen to her some yesterday, and I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it as a church family. Why? Because we, we are a part of what? A Christ-centered Acts 1-8 church family. And we as a church are involved in disciple-making, community-building, and missional living. Michael. Amen, amen. 